welcome to the Wrestling Heroes and Insiders Podcast, aka The Whip Show. Your co-hosts, Deshaun Whip Dog Whipple and Devastating Daryl Pace, each and every week will bring in some of the top pro wrestlers from around the world. I'm talking WWE, WCW, Impact Wrestling, NWA, and more. So sit back, get your favorite drink, and listen to some great stories told by those amazing and sometimes crazy pro wrestling superstars. Welcome everybody to season two of the Wrestling Heroes and Insiders podcast, a.k.a. The Whip Show. Are we back? You didn't think we were going to do just one season? Come on, man. We got new glasses, we got new haircuts, and we got new guests. You know what it is. I am Deshaun with Dog Whipple, and I am here with my partner. Hey, devastating Daryl Pace, man. I'm looking forward to a brand new season, man. I like the first season was fantastic. I know it's only bigger and better going forward. You know, um, but one problem here though, Deshaun, I, I'm I'm trying to get things set in the studio for, for season two. And we all got all kinds of trash and garbage oh. around here. I, I need some help, man, clearing this place out. It's a mess. So, so we need to clean it up. Like if we knew a garbage man or something, where can we find a garbage man? Hmm, wait a minute. I know. We have our guest today, former WWF superstar. Can you guys give it up for Duke the Dumpster? Drossy, what's going on, man? Hey, guys, I appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, did somebody say trash? I can take care of that for you. My God, my God. Well, Duke, first and foremost, man, how you been doing, man? The pandemic and all this craziness going on, uh, we were doing good around the country at first. Then it's been more spikes. So how you holding up, bro? Uh, everything's going well here. I'm living in middle Tennessee, and things are okay. We've been trying to get back to normal I think like most people uh, but yeah it was it was definitely a challenge but um, it's all good man hopefully this thing will blow over sooner than later so for sure for sure now I must say apologize first and foremost I might take a sip of the wine during the show uh, hopefully that doesn't offend you my brother not at all have at it my <laughs> friend <laughs> well first off dude once again thanks for being on the show but I want to start off right here, man. So um, I know you got your own podcast coming up, and you've been working. Well, you're actually working on it now, and we're going to talk about that. But you go live on Facebook, and I asked you a question on your Facebook Live about the character Duke the Dumpster Drossy. Uh, did yes. that come from the WWF bag of gimmicks, or was that something you already started? But it looks like you actually were called the Garbage Man before that. So could you tell me a little bit about how that started, man? Yeah, I was wrestling down in Miami, Florida. That's where I grew up. And when I kind of I broke into the business when I was still in high school, and uh, I started wrestling around, I had a bunch of different names. I wrestled as Mean Mike Casey. I wrestled one time, I, at one tour I did, I was the surfer boy, Harry Race, the nephew of Harley Race, which Harley didn't know anything about it. Um, but then I came up with a name. I was in college at the University of Miami, and I was in a fraternity. One of my fraternity brothers came up to me with this name, Rocco Gibraltar, obviously named after the Rock of Gibraltar. And um, I thought that was such a cool name, so I just kind of stored it in the computer bank and remembered it for a later time. And as I was working the independent scene and I was finishing college and I started putting together a promotional package and doing taped footage, I knew I had to come up with a character and I wanted to use the name Rocco Gibraltar. So I tried to figure out something that would kind of work in terms of alliteration and the garbage man, Rocco Gibraltar. At first I said the G man and I tried to figure out what that was, but I kind of came around with it and it became the garbage man, Rocco Gibraltar, because I knew Vince would be all over a, a blue collar worker gimmick, baby face gimmick. And, and so I started wrestling. I probably did like two years in, in down in South Florida, you know, the indie circuit down there, putting together tape and everything. And um, they loved the gimmick, and they just changed the name when I got there so they could own that to Duke the Dumpster Drossy, which Drossy is my real last name, of course. 
So you work two years and you start doing your promotional packages. When did you get the call? Like, when did they officially say, we want him? He's here. We're signing him. Well, what happened was I was, as I said, I was finishing college and putting together that promotional package. And my plan was to drive all over the country and try to get a job at one of the remaining territories. There was Memphis and a few other places. And I was going to go up to New York. I was going to go to Atlanta and maybe even out to California and try to get a job. So I had like 30 of these packages that had a tape uh, with a highlight reel, uh, a promo on it, and a match. And I had a resume and I had pictures done. And I had probably 30 of these packages. <laughs> uh, I was planning on going all over the place. But then I read in the paper that Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon were at a TV executive convention right there in my hometown at the Miami Beach Convention Center. So I, at the very last second, I didn't give my time, myself time to really think about it. I had a friend that was a TV executive at a local station. I went and got his credentials. I crashed the convention. I walked right in there with a suit on and walked up to Vince and introduced myself and told him I wanted to work for him. And uh, he asked me a couple of questions and then I got out of there. And he had J.J. Dillon call me, who was running talent relations at the time. He had, J.J. called me about a week later. So that's how the call went down. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's something. So you basically got your own deal. I mean, you 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 were your own agent for the stars, right? Yeah, because I mean, I didn't have any brothers or friends that were up there. I mean, I knew Luna from Florida, but but that was the only person I really knew up there at that time. Uh, and I don't think she would have tried to help me. I mean, you know, when you're up there, you're trying to protect your spot. You're not really trying to help a lot of people. But I definitely did not know anybody in the office. So I had to kind of make it happen on my own. And uh, that's what I did. I just, I just kind of took the initiative and made it happen. So, so what happens when, you, when, you, when, when uh, you know, JJ calls you and you start working through, uh, especially the creative process, right? At that time in the WWE, WWF, it was very gimmick heavy, right? We had T.L. Hopper, the plumber. We had... You know, we had the goon, the hockey player. We had, you know, we had these uh, very gimmick heavy, uh, 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 it was very gimmick heavy at the time. You know, what was that process you know, after they contact you and they bring you in? Well, it was when I went in, uh, when, when I initially spoke to Vince, I think it might have still been in 1993, at the very end of 93. And I, they brought me in for a tryout in 1994 in the beginning of 94 and we we had we talked for a couple of months before i actually signed a contract uh and i just dealt with jj Dillon on all of that stuff um but yeah they brought me up for a tryout and of course vince loved the gimmick and and yeah i mean we came out of the 80s and into the 90s where there was a lot of cartoon characters and gimmicks and of course then like those guys you were talking about came later in like 96 end of 95 96 um they were kind of holding on for dear life. Well, at least Vince was holding on for dear life to those characters, but they, they were starting to fade in popularity, but I knew it would get me in the door. And yeah, I did my deal with JJ Dillon and it was just that basic deal that you hear so many guys talk about. It was just a chance to work for the WWF. It was the only thing they guaranteed was 10 matches a year at $150 a match. So basically the WWF was only guaranteeing you $1,500 a year out of the gate. It was a chance to work there, and that's the way they presented it. And I'm telling you, coming from Miami, Florida, where I was working maybe once every two weeks or once a month to a shot at working at the World Wrestling Federation, I was all over it. But the thing is, most of those, even Steve Austin came in on that deal. A lot of those guys came in on that same deal for just a chance to work there. Nice, nice. So I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, from the outside, fans, marks, whatever you want to call them, they think it's like the NBA. You automatically get a million-dollar contract. So you, you, y'all heard it. It ain't like that. You still got to work when you get up there. Yeah, it wasn't like that. I thought it was going to be like that, but I learned really quick it wasn't. But, again, I was just so happy to be there. Um, now it's different. These days they got minimum guarantees. It's a publicly traded company, and everybody's getting paid from the get-go. But back then, you know, they could pretty much reach their required $1,500 and not work you anymore if they didn't like you. So, um, again, it was, it was an opportunity. It was a chance. 
to work for them. And a lot of guys were, were willing to take that chance at the time. Now, there's a number I'm going to throw out at you. And tell me if it, may, if it means anything to you. 500. Yeah, it's funny. Very, uh, coincidentally, at the same time, right about where I was putting together these tapes of the garbage man Rocco Gibraltar down in Florida and putting together all this stuff, a wrestler down there approached me and said that the Pro Wrestling Illustrated was interested in putting me in their top 500 list, which I was kind of like, well, okay, yeah. I mean, it'd be the first time I ever had any kind of exposure. And again, I think it was because of the character. But then he said, no, but they want to make you 500. And uh, I kind of looked at him funny. I was like, well, that's the last on the list. And uh, he goes, yeah, but here's the thing. It's a gimmick, you know, one of the most memorable spots is always it's number one or number 500. So you're going to get that memorable 500 spot. So I said, yeah, sure. Sounds good. And they put me in as just the garbage man. They didn't even put in Rocco Gibraltar. And then right about that same time, I was pretty much walking up to Vince at that convention and getting a job. And it was funny because pro wrestling illustrated tried to take credit for getting me that job. They still, I think to this day, people still think they were, involved in getting me hired in the World Wrestling Federation. But no, I had done all of that on my own. And it was just a coincidence that we did that top 500 or the PWI 500 thing. But yeah, that was uh, pretty well talked about even then. Well, when you got in there, man, they pretty much pushed you heavy. If I'm not mistaken, you were the first person to beat Triple H. And uh, so when they, when they were presenting what they were going to do with you, were you confident that you were going to go to the top? Well, I knew that I was probably the best coming out of South Florida at that time. Um, I was getting over really well in, in Florida, and uh, I knew I had a lot to offer. Um, but funny thing is, number one, they don't tell you much. They didn't lay out a plan for me. It was Everything was a surprise. The Jerry the King Lawler thing was a surprise at the beginning. I walked right into that, didn't even know. Um, that it was going to happen until the night of, and I mean, literally right before. <laughs> so um, they didn't tell you much, uh, but uh, they, uh, yeah, they kept their, their cards close to the vest on a lot of things. Uh, the thing with Triple H, I beat him by disqualification in the first free-for-all match. I think it was before the Royal Rumble to determine who got the number one spot and who got the 30 spot. And since I beat him, he had to go out number one, and I got to go out number 30. And that created the problem between me and Triple H, which he later came back and attacked me, cut my hair, then we had that feud. And that was like in 96, though. That was after my first two-year contract was up, and I think that's why they gave me that deal. But, but yeah, it was kind of funny the way stuff worked. They didn't really tell you much. And then as a character, though, it was interesting that they tried to take the road agents and the people in the back tried to take things away from your character. They were like, one, one of my things was I was a huge Road Warriors fan. And when I came in, my promos, I always yelled. I always yelled and screamed just like Road Warrior Hawk. And uh, the first thing they said was, we don't yell here in promos. They said, you don't yell because uh, then it won't mean anything. Uh, you need to save that for when it's uh, they would give you all these reasons and I was just happy to be there shaking my head going, Yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. And I changed so much that I lost a lot of what was getting me over down in South Florida. Uh and it just kind of started to become a different character. So it was just interesting how they kind of worked that process there. Okay. Now let me ask you this. That character you had, and I remember being a, a young fan watching it. And I was a total mark for it. You automatically were going to be a huge fan favorite. I know the babies liked it and everything. How did that feel, man? When you, you know, you're a grown man. You do grown man things. You understand? Outside of the ring, but you got us. Because back then, you know, kayfabe was still so heavy. How did it feel to try to stay happy, Duke the Dumpster Josie, when you really want to go hang with the fellas in the back? And you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting. Uh, way of life and living and making a living. Um, but it's the dream, you know, and uh, walking out there and getting that crowd reaction is, is a very powerful drug. And uh, that, that is the dream for a lot of us. 
but yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta play that character. You gotta be the big baby face, the blue collar guy by day. And and I was pretty infamous for running around and being the big party guy at night. Uh, and yeah, we would hang at the at the bar afterwards and do all those sorts of things too. So yeah, it was a, kind of an interesting trade off, uh, but it was fun uh, for the most part, and I really enjoyed interacting with the fans. That was the fun part of it for me. So uh, yeah, that part was good. So, so talk about hanging out. So, who was your crew? You know, we were talking about you know Shawn Michaels' crew and Undertaker crew. Who were the boys that you were hanging out with? Well, I was one of the guys that would hang with anybody. Uh, anybody who was up to go out, or you know, who was down to go to the bar, I was their guy. And so, if it was a Click member or two or three, I'd go with the Click to the bar. If it was the BSK guys and the Taker and those guys, I'd hang with them. If it was just me and Austin riding down the road you know, drinking natural light in the rental car, making it to the next town. That's the guy I would hang with, you know, but it was just, it just depended. But a lot of the time I was hanging with Austin. A lot of the time I would hang with guys like Savio Vega, uh, cause he was always fun to hang with and he was a good friend. Um, but yeah, I mean, anytime, anywhere I'd go out with anybody. I, I tried to get along with everybody. Now, since you already touched on it, I was gonna wait a little bit longer. Like I said, I follow your Facebook page, and you have no problem telling some of your great stories about the road at all. I was just going to sit back and let you just talk for the whole hour, but we got to do the interview thing. But, <laughs> dude, I want you to give me a story right now. I want the Shawn Michaels story about the uh, kiss thing and everything, the fight. <laughs> but don't tell me that one yet. Don't tell me that one just yet. Give me okay. another story first. Give me another good story first, man. Oh, wow. Let me think. Um, I, I, I told the story about, uh, the one, two, three kid, uh, you know, and again, I, I'm still friends with one, two, well, with Sean Waltman. Um, and he has, uh, he has gone on record saying that everything I said in this, just about everything I said in the story was true, but we were wrestling on the road and it was this weird situation. We were doing a six man tag. It was me and the Bushwhackers as one team. Versus the one, two, three kid, Isaac Yankum, DDS, who would be later become Kane, and Al Snow was wrestling as one of the new rockers. I think his, what was his name? Leaf Cassidy. Leaf Cassidy, there you go. And that was their team. And anyway, we were doing this, we did this match a few times. And in one particular show, the kid was in there and he was a little bit loose and he was throwing some kicks and laying them in pretty good. I was pretty fired up. I was I was laying in stuff. I was chopping uh, Kane or Isaac Yankum to the point where he looked at me and out of the corner and he just said, Duke, stop. So I, needless to say, I stopped chopping Isaac Yankum at that moment. But anyway, into the match, the kid was just laying these kicks on me. And at one point, <clears throat> I just hauled off and kicked him in the face with a big mafia kick and bloodied his mouth. Uh, pretty bad and uh it wasn't really necessarily a receipt but i was like i said i was kind of loosey-goosey too and we were all just kind of fired up in there but we got back to the locker room and i'm sitting there changing right next to Shawn michaels and the kid comes walking in from the ring and you know he you could tell he saved up as much blood as he could in his mouth to make it look really bad and he'd come in and he holds his hand like that to show Shawn michaels Shawn Michaels looked at him and looked at me and looked back at the one, two, three kids and said, well, I guess you shouldn't have kicked him so hard. And I was shocked that he actually kind of took up my side on that deal. But um, I also told part of the story where it was either in that same match, which is what I thought it was, or another match, but the kid uh, crapped his pants <laughs> in the middle of the match. And uh, he didn't throw his tights away, but I think he put them in a garbage can before uh, he tried to clean them. But I think that might have been the same match, but I can't remember exactly because he said that part wasn't exactly true. He didn't throw away his tights. I thought he'd throw them away. But, yeah, it was pretty crazy. We were all loosey-goosey throwing kicks around and getting stiff. And and uh, Kane told me to stop, and I did. And then I kicked one, two, three kid in the face. And uh, I didn't care, actually. I had fun doing it. So, Well, uh, sliding with that, we also know you weren't against giving a rib back to a guy either. 
if he tried to get to you. Now, my first question, name a good rib you did to somebody. but And then number two, with the way the world is now, uh, you know, because I, I was an independent wrestler myself. Obviously, I didn't get to your level. But I know how we was able to rib back in the day. Now, if you do anything to a guy, you're going to get put on the internet and act like you were the biggest bully in the world. So, yeah, it's time to definitely change, too. You're right. Um, I think one of the best ribs I ever pulled, it was a long, I called it a long distance, long-term rib because I did it several times to the same exact guy. And I wrote about this on my Facebook page a long time ago, but um, there's an unwritten rule. If you ever find a lock in a locker room that is unlocked, you grab it for future evil use. And, uh, I would always find these locks in different locker rooms, you know, and um, I would hold on to them and save them for later. And what inevitably would always happen is we would be out at the bar. And at some point in time, Henry Godwin, the hog farmer would come walking up to my table and he would be, he would be a few beers in, he'd be feeling good. And uh, I would literally just sit there and smile at him and agree with what he was saying and talk to him. And at the same time, I'd be reaching my hand down and I would lock that lock on the back loop of like his brand new Air Jordans or whatever he was wearing. And I swear I must have done that at least five or six or seven different times. And he would always come up the next day and go, did you put that lock on my head? I would always deny it. But I would put so many locks and he would have to cut them off. And um, just, just recently he told me he knew it was me all along, but yeah, that was one of those good long-term ribs. And it was, wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, it was kind of harmless. I mean, maybe he had to cut his shoe a little bit. But other than that, it wasn't bad. There was a lot worse ribs. But, yeah, and I, the second part of your question, uh, yeah, it's changed a lot nowadays. You know, if, if you uh, do anything, it can be construed as bullying or, in some instances, sexual harassment or, or whatever. You got to be very careful. You can't be running around pulling ribs on people anymore. As you're going around, as you're, doing, as you're touring with the WWF, what were your favorite towns? What were the, the best places when you came in? It's like, oh, man, it's party time tonight. <sighs> well, I'll tell you the one in the United States, the one place that was always good was the Northeast. We would fly into Newark, New Jersey. And when we flew into Newark, New Jersey, we would do the loop. We would do, like, Madison Square Garden, Nassau Coliseum. We'd go up to Philly, maybe, to the Spectrum. Then we'd go maybe over to Scranton and Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and come back down to Newark, New Jersey and fly out. But we would stay in Newark, New Jersey for all those days or all those nights at the Jetport Holiday Inn. And there was many and many a party that went down at the Jetport Holiday Inn. That place is legendary for the parties that used to go down with the pro wrestlers and the fans in that place. So... Um, that was probably my favorite place in uh, the United States. And then anywhere in Germany in those days, see, because business was down in the United States, but it was huge in Germany and Europe. And uh, Germany was always fun, man. It was always sold out houses and they were always into it. So, uh, and we always had fun uh, out at the bars or at the hotel bars after the shows in Germany too. So it was fun. I, I'm glad you said it because me personally, I, I'm not sure about Daryl. I haven't done a whole lot of international travel, just a little bit. But you take a group of wrestlers that's going to have fun. So how do you have fun overseas? Do you just get one of the locals to take you to the bar? I mean, because everybody can't speak the language. How does that work, man? Well, I mean, mo most of the fans speak English. or We, we would always have people with us. Um, and uh, it just depends on the town. Sometimes we would just stay. They would keep us. I mean, they would ride us around on buses, and they would put us up in the, all in the same hotel, and they were usually nice hotels. You know, over in the States, we, we put ourselves in hotels, and we pay all those expenses and write them off on taxes. But over in Europe, overseas, the office pays for everything, so it's really nice. And a lot of times the, bar, or the, uh, the hotels have nice bars there. But also in certain towns, there's just bars or clubs that the boys know that we go to every time we're in that town. Um, and the people are always expecting it. And the fans, sometimes the fans will take us there or we'll take a taxi or, or whatever. Or we'll walk. But 
you know, you always, it's, it's kind of this thing where these places have been gone to so many times by the wrestlers that everybody knows about them. And uh, it's just kind of a regular thing whenever you go to certain towns. What was the wildest fan interaction you ever were a part of? Wow. Um, that's hard to... <laughs> it depends Take your time, PG. baby. Take your time. It depends if it's PG or not. Um, <laughs> you know, it's always different, man. Sometimes uh, the fans... Sometimes you get an overzealous fan that tries to hit the ring. And when that happens, it can get very ugly. And I've been there a few times when fans have tried to hit the ring, either on myself or other wrestlers. Um, and usually it entails somebody that's been drinking alcohol or is on drugs when they do it. And it, it, it doesn't end up well. I, I remember there was this one guy that came over the rail after somebody. It might have been like Jeff Jarrett or I can't remember who the wrestler was. But this guy had a knife in his hand. And... Um, just when I think Jeff was going to turn around or whoever the wrestler was, was about to beat the living hell out of this guy. The police came flying out of the back and grabbed him and took him down. But uh, you never know. I mean, wrestling, back in the day, wrestling used to be crazy. It, it started to calm down during our years in the early, the late 80s, early 90s. But back in the day, people would come at you and shoot guns at you and try to stab you with knives and throw batteries at you and stuff crazy, rocks. So you always had to be careful. There was some pretty crazy uh, fan interactions. And, and you know, fans in the bars were always, when they've had too much to drink, it it, uh, it could get pretty hairy sometimes. So. So, Daryl, 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 not to cut you off, but this is a great segue. I asked for it earlier. Now is the time. Give me the Shawn Michaels story. Yeah, we were at a bar. It was me and Sean, and I think it was Scott Hall. And uh, this is one of those times where I kind of knew a lot of times when I would go out with Shawn Michaels and the other and any of the other click guys, um, I would kind of watch their backs. Uh, we always watched each other's backs, but, you know, uh, oftentimes Sean would get pretty wasted, and we knew we just kind of had to watch after him because – we we all knew that he was working his way towards the championship, um, which he eventually did at WrestleMania 12. But at this bar, man, there was probably like six dudes that were there, and they were not wrestling fans. They could care less about us being wrestlers. And uh, <clears throat> they were big dudes. And Shawn Michaels was pretty wasted. And Shawn Michaels was making a statement in the bar that uh, – Basically, none of those guys were going to get laid since the wrestlers were there because uh, they didn't have a chance. The all the ladies and their girlfriends included wanted us wrestlers. And this pissed these guys off. They were so pissed off uh, that they wanted to fight. And uh, I don't know. I think Scott Hall had gone out to the car to start the car or something. I don't know. I think it, I told him. If it was either him or the one, two, three kid, but. Me and Sean standing there, and these guys are angry, and uh, I didn't think I could fight six guys. So my maneuver was I found the biggest one, the toughest-looking guy, and I grabbed him by his ears, and I kissed him right on the lips. And completely, in an instant, I took his manhood from him just long enough and he actually had a tear in his eye when I did it. I, I think I broke his manhood uh, <laughs> in that moment to the point where me and Shawn Michaels could get the hell out of there and get in the car. Nobody had to fight. No punches were thrown, and we got out of there. But, yeah, that was my uh, my my big, you know, secret weapon. I kissed the guy on the lips to get us out of a fight. <laughs> and uh, everybody was laughing about it in the locker room the next day because it worked so well. Now, a question on that, like back in the day, like we have, we also know about the story where with, with uh, uh, Davy Boy Smith, where you know Shawn Michaels was attacked by either three or thirty guys, right? I mean, yeah. was it was it Shawn Michaels back then, or was it the? I mean, what what was the cause of all these fights? It was Shawn Michaels. Yeah, Shawn Michaels when he was Shawn Michaels was arrogant anyway, but when he got wasted, he was a he was a dick. He was downright. He was an asshole, and um. Some people, you know, 
us wrestlers, we knew how to handle it or we would deal with it. But people that were outside of wrestling that didn't know him or who he was just thought this was some little pretty boy acting like a jackass and they wanted to kill him. Um, but I mean, that's probably why he was such a great heel for all those years. But um, yeah, it was Shawn Michaels 110%, man. It was all him. And uh, sometimes we had to clean up the mess before it got too bad. And as far as Syracuse, I was working at the company at the time, but I was not on that tour. And I don't know exactly what happened. We heard several different stories, but who knows? And I, it surprises me that Davey Boy wasn't able to do more. But it was kind of fishy about how that was went down, apparently, how the story was told. But, yeah, usually it was Shawn Michaels that would cause those issues, man. Wow. So uh, while y'all was uh, having fun, wilding out and everything, what did the office say? Was Vince like, oh, what's wrong with you guys? Or he just said, as long as y'all make it back to the ring, I don't care. That's exactly the way it was. As long as you showed up and did your job, they turned a blind eye, uh, unless it became a really big problem. And for them, a really big problem meant that it was affecting your work. Uh, so there wasn't usually many guys that fell into that category. Um, I think the one, two, three kid had issues at times. And later on, Shawn Michaels had issues to the point where he had to go away for a while. But, um, you know, when I was there, we were getting drug tested, uh, you know, the steroid scandal was still going on. You couldn't take any illegal drugs. You could take a lot of prescription drugs, though. Uh, there was a loophole where as long as you wrote it on the drug test form, you didn't have to show them an actual prescription. So you could be getting prescription drugs anywhere and just taking them as long as you wrote it down. But um, I think about a year after I left, they quit drug testing. And that's when guys really started getting messed up on not just prescription drugs but illegal drugs and that's when guys started dying and that's when they started putting people into rehab and stuff like that uh, it just changed everything but back in the days when i was there they turned a blind eye to it as long as it wasn't a big problem now to, to shift gears a little bit um i've always wondered you kind of left right before the attitude era boom where do you think you do you think you would have succeeded in the Attitude Era? And how would you have shifted the gimmick or totally changed it if you were there? I would have totally changed it. I would have just become Duke Drosy. Or maybe they would have called me the Duke. I don't know. But I would have just been Duke Drosy and I would have been a, you know, uh, kind of a, a gray area heel baby face character, which is what everybody was becoming anyway. Um, and, and had more of my own real personality involved in the character. Uh, I would have got rid of the cartoon character, Garbage Man, definitely. And we were already talking about that. They just kept holding off. But my idea was to change just to Duke Drosy and become a heel. And they were talking to me about turning heel. They looked at me a little bit as a heel. Um, they, they started to make some plans that kind of fell through a couple times. But I know in the Attitude Era, yeah, I would have definitely worked. Um, of course, I was doing a lot of drugs and a lot of drinking then, too. So, And they quit drug testing. Uh, so as I look back, you know, I used to have a lot of regret that I wasn't there for all that money in the Attitude Era. But if I'm being realistic, if they weren't drug testing and I was as crazy as I was, it might have ended bad for me. I might have been one of the statistics, realistically speaking. So I don't know. It's kind of a hard question to really answer. But if I was there and in my right mind, I would have got over like gangbusters. Well, I see. I see. I, and I'll tell you, I wish he was there because I used to visualize in my head different characters that would have made it and added to it. And I always saw, like you just said, that's actually how I pictured it myself, man. And a question, I, I, I want to add on to that because we had the brawl for all, right? If you, no, so I got two questions. It's two part. Number one, if, you, if, if that was going on when you were there, how well would you have done? And number two, for the people you work with, you know, we always hear about Haku and all that. Who are the baddest men you've ever worked with as far as the toughest men you've ever worked with? Well, if I was there during Brawl for All, I don't know if I would have even done it. Uh, there was a point when I was about 20 years old, I trained with a professional heavyweight boxer. And basically what I learned is that I could get punched in the face a lot. <laughs> That's all I learned. But... uh. <laughs> 
Yeah, I would. I probably wouldn't have got involved in all that mess. Um, but I don't know. They come to you with something like that, and your ego kicks in. Maybe I would have. Maybe I would have thought I could fight. Now, as far as the toughest guys, man, you know, as far as who I worked with, uh, you know, Henry Godwin was a tough dude. Uh, just in terms of in the ring being tough. Uh, taking a beating and coming back. Um, you know, I worked with Vader. Vader was an interesting character. He was, he would get overly excited and be stiff. He would work stiff with you. But, um, you know, you calm him down and he would be like a big teddy bear. But, uh, you know, real raw, tough individuals. Bret Hart was a tough guy. Bob Holly was a tough guy. Henry Godwin was a tough guy. And not that they went out and got in bar fights or anything like that. Haku wasn't there when I was there, but I knew I heard all the stories about him and I believe all of them. You, one big rule is you don't mess with none of the island boys ever, ever, especially if they've been drinking. You keep your distance. But uh, yeah, those were pretty much the toughest guys I knew of. Nice, nice. Well, I, I gotta ask you after you your you leave the WWE, WWE, whatever happens, um, did you ever contact WCW or anything like that, or you pretty much were just I'm just gonna go back to my own thing on the independent circuit for a minute or whatever. Uh, I'll tell you what I did. I I just one day went up. I was I moved up to Orlando for a while with a friend because I was gonna pursue working for WCW, and the way that I went about that was. One day at Nitro, I just showed up and walked in the locker room. And the funny thing about it is everybody there thought somebody brought me in like I was going to be hired. So they all started treating me really nice. And uh, finally, J.J. Dillon came up to me and because he had moved over to WCW at that point. He left the WWF. And he was working in the office for WCW, and he gave me his card and said, call me, and we're going to talk. And blah, blah, blah. But interestingly, as the days wore on, uh, and I went back to another show at some point, and people started to realize nobody brought me in. I just showed up on my own. A lot of people treated me differently. It, it was strange. But anyway, I, I ended up getting a tryout match out of it. And it's, it's online somewhere on like YouTube, but I have it on my Facebook page somewhere too. I was wearing a singlet. I wasn't wrestling as the garbage man or dumpster. And uh, it wasn't the greatest match. I wrestled this guy who was kind of uh, stiff. He, he didn't really, I don't know. I think he forgot stuff or he was nervous or something and it didn't go too well. And I kind of beat on him a little bit, but um, it wasn't the greatest tryout. And I don't think Eric Bischoff was really interested in me anyway, but yeah, I, I took a shot. I tried to get a job there. Um, but it didn't really work out too well. So we've learned one thing on this show today, that you ain't scared. You went right up to Vince. You broke your way in to meet Vince. You just went to WCW. You didn't ask nobody. You just went in. Yeah, that's what I tell people. Yeah, I tell people all the time, man, if you want something, you've got to develop a plan and make it happen. You can't be scared. You can't sit back in the fear of the unknown because then you're not going to do anything. You're going to be paralyzed. Um, I definitely found opportunities to take the initiative. And uh, that is, again, that's something I try to teach people or talk to people about to this day uh, that are either trying to break into business or not even with the wrestling business, anything, any, any aspect of life. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I took the initiative. I took the bull by the horns in, in both of those situations. And, you know, I was successful for a little while in the WWF. I didn't get a job at WCW, but um, at least I tried. I wouldn't be sitting here 30 years later going, I wish I had tried that. You know, I tried. So, you know, you got to go for it. You got to give it a shot. Now, now you're a part of what I... My mom used to always tell me... You answer. You need to go get a yes. For sure, for sure. I was gonna say, you know, you're a part of one of my my favorite moments, right? You know, because we, you know, right after the purchase of WCW, yeah. right? You know, they and I don't know if this was already planned before that or how this came together. They never did a lot of Legends Battle Royals at WrestleMania, but this time they did. But instead of calling it a Legends Battle Royal, they called it the Gimmick Battle Royal. 
And again, you came in at a time where there's lots of gimmicks and stuff going on. And surprisingly, when they do this thing, now this thing is, you know, we've got legends, we've got a mix of guys in this, this thing, but a lot of legends. Who showed up in that thing? It was you. What, what, what happened? What, what, how did that come together? Well, I mean, at that point, I was working down in Florida back the company that I had started with in Independence, uh, Sunshine Wrestling Federation, that would later become Florida Championship Wrestling, not the developmental. Uh, I think Vince bought the name from them eventually and became the developmental for Vince in Florida for a while. But I was wrestling for those guys again. I had a ring. Uh, I was setting up their ring. I was training the guys in their school and uh, wrestling for them. But anyway, I was in a pretty bad way as far as the drug use and alcohol use. Uh, and at one point, this guy that came up to me, and it was funny, it was the same guy that uh, told me about the Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, Top 500. Um, he came up and told me they were doing this gimmick battle royal and that I should give Bruce a call. And I called Bruce Pritchard, and uh, they, he said, yeah, come on up. We'll, we'll bring in, we'll use you for the gimmick battle royal. Uh, and I've told the story. I was pretty messed up and strung out uh, as far as drugs and stuff. Uh, I was in no condition to wrestle. If you look at me when I walk out and down the ramp, I'm really skinny and really, like, uh, pasty white. Like, I hadn't seen the sunlight in a while. Um, I was just not in any real condition to wrestle or work. Uh, thank God it was just a battle royal. I didn't have to really run any spots or anything. Everybody was just goofing off in there. But it was fun. Uh, it was a cast of characters. I'll tell you, the Iron Sheik was hilarious, and Nikolai Volkov, they were hilarious. Um, Bruce Pritchard was in there, and Jim Cornette was in there, all these people. The gobbledygooker was in there. I think Kamala was in there, the one-man gang. Man, there were so many people. But it was fun. It, it was fun to come back and do that, and it was fun to get a little payday in a, a WrestleMania moment, if you want to look at it that way. I was in a WrestleMania finally because I never was when I wrestled for, you know, in the 90s. I never made a WrestleMania. So, yeah, it was fun. Now, now was there any thought coming out of that that, you know, could be a second round or, it, it, you know, I don't know how, you know, the contact was coming out of that. You know, I was talking to them and they were agreeing with everything I said. I was like, what? At that time, again, I was training people down in Miami, and I was talking to them about developing talent for them. They didn't have a developmental, and I wanted to kind of become some kind of a developmental for them. But, again, I was no in no condition to do any of that. I was definitely not in any condition to go back working for them. Um, so, you know, nothing really came of it. I didn't really expect anything. Um, and that's kind of where it was left. And I didn't talk to them again after that pretty much. But yeah. Well, since you brought up the gimmick battle royal and some of the stars or infamous characters in it, Daryl, I think it's time for your question. Oh, yeah. I think you gotta ask no, him right is, here, right now. No, this is an interesting one because he, he worked during very key times. But but I but I'll ask it though. Like, you know, because you're a fan, you know, obviously before you become a wrestler, you're a fan of the business. What, what's kind of that mark-out moment where you're in the locker room, you're putting your gear on, and you go, oh, my God. Even if you don't say it out loud, but in your mind, you're like, I can't believe X is in the, neck, in the locker room with me. Like, is there any, any mark-out moments like that for you? Oh, I think he froze up. Hold on. Did we lose oh, him? Yeah, it was all the guys. Oh, we lost you for repeat. We lost you for one second. Yeah, I'm back. I heard your question. Um, that moment for me was when I went up for the tryout, the very first tryout match I had with them. Uh, I was in awe. I was in this locker room with, you know, Lex Luger, who I watched come up in Florida when I was growing up down there. Uh, you know, Crush and Fatu were in there and uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and, of course, Shawn Michaels and and. and and Razor Ramon, uh, Scott Hall, I wrestled him back when I was like 18 or 19 years old in a, in a job match for, in the Florida Territory, uh, championship wrestling from Florida right before uh, the Crockett. And in so um, I knew, I knew some of, of these guys and of these guys 
And I just remember sitting in the locker room, wow, I feel like I actually have made it. Um, I'm in here with these guys that I've idolized all these years growing up and coming up in the business, and now I'm part of the same locker room. So, yeah, that was a, a great moment. For sure, for sure. Well, we're not going to keep you here all afternoon, all evening, but I do want to say this. You just talked about okay. training, guys. We see the business now. Do you, first of all, do you watch it now? And what would you recommend to some of the guys now trying to be superstars in the world of pro wrestling? I do not watch the wrestling business or the product now. Uh, if somebody is, if something happens that everybody is talking about, if I catch like people talking about social media and some of the wrestling groups, I will go to YouTube and watch it to see if it's something that's interesting to me. But for the most part, I don't watch the wrestling business currently. Um, people have always asked me why, and I always say the same thing. It's because it's the same storylines rehashed over and over and over again. They just plug in new names. Um, you know, so there's really no surprises in that respect. Um, that's kind of the way the wrestling business is. So, I, no, I, I do not watch it. Uh, but as far as advice, I've always said the same thing. If you're going to get into the wrestling business, become well-rounded and learn everything about every aspect of the business. So if you have a limited time in investing talent, you have something to fall back on and you can still be in the business in some other capacity. Um, learn how to work, learn how to wrestle different styles in different countries, learn how to wrestle on the fly. They don't do that anymore, calling it in the ring. Um, <clears throat> those are all important. Learn about television production, learn about how deals are made, learn about pay-per-view buy rates and, and how the money is made and how the money is distributed. Those are all things you really need to learn. It's not just about learning how to do, you know, spots in the ring and learning how to do a moonsault or whatever the latest move is and looking really cool. You gotta learn all about the business if you really wanna be successful in this business. Because very, very, very small number of individuals are successful as wrestling talents. So you've gotta have to have something to fall back on. You should, you know, if you can't be a wrestler anymore, you should look at trying to be a producer or working in the office in some capacity and become a lifer where you're getting that salary for the rest of your life and you're still contributing to the wrestling business. That would be my biggest piece of advice to anybody breaking in the business. For sure, for sure. Daryl, do you got anything else for him before we close out? Well, you know, uh, I'm gonna, I want to, I, I want to get one thing in here. Just get, get clarity on one thing. You wrestle Vader. There's all these stories about Vader's gear. Is it true that he washed the gear? It was that bad. Ooh, it smelled pretty bad, and that mask was pretty nasty too. That leather mask, he couldn't wash it, so it stunk. But uh, yeah, his gear was pretty bad, man. It was up there, up there with uh, Owen Hart. One time in a battle royal, Owen Hart purposely washed his gear for like two months or something beforehand, and he pulled me back into the corner. He was sitting up on the turnbuckle. He pulled me back, and he wrapped his singlet right around my nose <laughs> like this, and it stunk so bad, and he just sat there giggling. And this was on live television. He sat there just giggling like a little child, um, and that, that was Owen Hart. But, yeah, Vader, Vader, Vader's gear stunk on the regular, yes. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, man, first of all, Duke, thank you for joining us on the show. We had a great time with some of this insight. But before we go, we got this segment. It's called Ring the Bell. It's where we give you 60 seconds to talk about whatever. You can talk about your new podcast. You can talk about your Facebook. Whatever you want. You can inspire people. Whatever you want to do. But Duke the Dumpster Trust, can you please Ring the bell. And that's if his phone, his, his thing unfreezes. It, it froze on him. Can okay. I, oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah, we're freezing up. You, you asked me if I could do what now? It's called ring the bell. You can do whatever you want to for 60 seconds. You can promote your podcast coming up. You can inspire people. You can say whatever. But if you can do it, go ahead and ring the bell, sir. 
Ring the bell. All right. This is Duke the Dumpster Drossy, former World Wrestling Federation superstar, inviting you to come watch me in my very own podcast, Road to Recovery, on Friday afternoons at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Central. Road to Recovery. It is all about recovery, not just substance abuse recovery, but people coming back from tough situations and persevering and finding redemption. Uh, we are on Facebook Live right now, and we will be moving over to Twitch at WWAB Podcast. WWAB stands for the family of podcasts that I am a part of, Wrestling With Anything But. We also have Don Morocco, Paul Roma, we have Glacier, we have the Patriot, Del Wilkes, uh, we're getting Bill DeMott. All of these guys have uh, podcasts under our umbrella. But yes, come check me out, Road to Recovery, on Friday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, we're trying to add some positivity to this world. It's, it's become a world of negativity where everybody's fighting and being angry and negative to each other. And uh, we're trying to change that one viewer at a time. Uh, I'd like to go back to the days where people were positive with each other and people encouraged each other. And that's what my podcast is about. Thank you for that. Salute to you for that. And we're going to definitely get a link to that on all our social media platforms, man. So yes, you definitely want to check that out and show love from the Whip Show family. Well, Daryl, another great show, man. Man, another great show. We kicked it off. A grand, brand new season. You know, so glad to have Mike Drossy here, part of us. He's uh, probably one of our one of our biggest stars today because he, he has some action figures. So we we yeah, got exactly. we got some action figure guys out here. So one of our biggest stars today, you know, we just thank you. Appreciate him coming on the show. And we're gonna looking forward to another great 15 episodes just like last season. I feel bad because I sold his action figure on eBay. I made a good amount of money, but I wish I'd have still had it. I would have had it in the background for him, man. My bad. <laughs> but dude, there's not many of them out there, but I appreciate that. For sure, man. Well, thank you again. Guys, you know what to do. Check us out every Friday. The Whip Show podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere else you watch or listen to your podcast platforms. Check us out on YouTube. Just put in The Whip Show podcast. Follow us on Instagram at The Whip Show podcast. If you've got any questions or you want some guests on our show, you know what to do. Email us at thewhipshowpodcast at gmail.com. Well, I'm out of here. I am Deshaun Whip Dog Whipple and uh, Devastating Daryl Pace. And we had Duke the Dumpster Drossy. And we will see you next time on the Wrestling Heroes and Insiders podcast, a.k.a. The Thanks, Whip guys. Show. See you next time, guys.